as a man with two sons, this is a particularly, it's always a particularly interesting thing to read aloud and to ponder. Two sons. We're on a Lenten journey, and we've been focusing, um, I've been seeking to bring the gospel into relationship with the Ten Commandments uh, during this Lenten season. Um, as we as we try to understand how God has given us the Ten Commandments to give us absolute clarity about the call on our lives to be aligned with him, to, to let him be our, our center, our, 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 our guide, our everything, where our hearts and our minds and our strength, every part of us is, is in alignment with him, is in relationship to him. And the law has been given to us to help us. It's to clarify for us if we, if we get off track. And yet, because these are not assigned in relationship to these gospel passages, sometimes it's a, I hope I haven't had to strain too hard, but today we have in the cycle that we've been keeping, honor your father and your mother, which is the fifth commandment, you're all by yourself, but I'm going to look at Evelyn when I say honor your father and your mother. Um, but I'm looking at all of you too. Some of us do not have a father and mother alive on this earth any longer. Um, but we have that and we have do no murder. Do not murder. So honor your father and mother and do not murder are there today. And then we have the story of the two sons. By God's grace, I hope to make some sense out of the relationship between them. I want to start with honor your father and your mother. The life of the family. The life of the family. Blessed is that man or that woman who grew up in a family where honoring your parents was the natural outflow of loving them. And you loved them because they first loved you. God's will in creation is that the family be central to all of his plan. From the very beginning, it has been God's purpose that we would know him and love him and stay in his presence and walk in his, his will. He, he lovingly has given us life. He lovingly has provided for us from the very beginning. He lovingly called us to one another. He calls a man to woman and woman to man. His, his presence is always promised to them and to us. And the family is at the center of his purpose. It is at the center of his calling. It is the center of his will. And we are to be fruitful and multiply. It is part of the calling that God has given to all people that we be fruitful and that we multiply. And for the overwhelming majority of all the people of the earth, this has been a self-evident truth. Man is made for woman and woman is made for man. And the two are to bring forth children who will love and serve the Lord. 
But we in this room, we know the, we know the story didn't go well. We know that there is in the heart of the human experience a rebellion against God's will, a, a, an unwillingness to let God be God, an unwillingness to yield our lives to his purposes, desiring to be our own leader, our own boss, our own God, as the scripture sees it very, very clear, clearly. And yet in that rebellion and in that fall and in that confusion, out of which every evil thing in this world is happening, even Ukraine. I had a hard question just as I walked into the church. Where is God in the Ukrainian conflict? And my answer was right where he has always been on the throne in his heavenly kingdom. But human beings in their fallenness kill and destroy and lie and steal and cheat. And great sin spreads on the earth. And yet God in his gracious provision doesn't leave us there. He extends a call to us. And that call comes to us through a family It comes to us, first of all, in the call that he gave to Abraham and Sarah. It comes deeply embedded in the call of all the people of Israel. It comes embedded in his desire to show us the way that we should move away from our rebellion and back into alignment with him. In the giving of the law, the loving purpose of God is in the giving of the law. And he sends prophets from time to time in his mercy, in his mercy, he delays the judgment that we deserve by sending prophets to speak to us and to call us back to God. And the number one way that that is to happen is in the raising of children. In the raising of children. The whole of the text that we read from the prayer book, Rick rightly pointed out, it's the prayer book version. It's a liturgical version of the Ten Commandments. If you read the Ten Commandments in the text, either of Exodus or in the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy, you know that this commandment has an extended passage. This commandment has an extended passage. Honor your father and mother because by doing so, Your days will be long in the land. By doing so, it will be well with you. By doing so, there is a promise from God. And Paul the Apostle will later say, the very first promise, the very first promise in the commandments is related to this one, the honoring of your father and your mother. And that's because they are to raise you to know God and nothing Nothing can matter more than being helped to know and to love and to serve and to worship and to honor God. But it begins with a mother and a father. I don't know at what age you began to be aware of the difference between your parents and Almighty God. If you were fortunate, as I claim myself to be, 
you had a very confused notion of the difference between what dad said, what mom said, and what God said. And that's how it's supposed to be. A child is to learn to heed the words of his mother or her mother. A child is to learn to heed the the words of his father or her father. Not because they are afraid, but because they are loved. Honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you, that it may be well with you. Late in life, I've come to the conclusion that it's possible to imagine how someone was brought up by their response to the gospel. I have a dear friend in a foreign country that I talk to with some regularity. And uh, not every week, but most of the weeks of the year, we have a conversation back and forth. Um, And he is not a believer. He was raised by people who attended church. He was raised by people who drug him to mass, uh, whether he wanted to go or not. He was raised by people who sent him to Catholic school. But he was raised in a household that didn't believe what they were telling him he should. And he has great memories of a very, very troubled marriage between his father and his mother and a very troubled childhood. And so, even after all these years, he's, he's in his, let me count, he's passed his three score and ten. Um, he has an absolute hardened heart against God. Now, in his nature and in his general disposition to other people, he's not at all an evil man. He's a very bright and very articulate and actually a kind man. He has a great deal of goodness in him. But because he did not grow up loved in a way that it would have been right for him to be raised... He has a hardness in his heart against God. He's not even sure there is a God. The other commandment we come to today is do not murder. I don't really think I have to say much about do not murder to this congregation. Well, some of us have wanted to murder someone. You all know the famous saying of of Ruth Graham who was married to Billy Graham when she was asked in an interview one time Um, whether she'd ever thought about divorcing Billy. And she said, I've never thought about divorcing him, but I've thought about murdering him. (laughs) And some of us can relate, right? So I'm not going to speak to that literally, but I will remind you, if you don't already know, that the word as it's used in in the Hebrew language does not just mean intentionally murdering someone. It's the same word that is used if I accidentally murder someone or if through my own irresponsibility I murder someone. So carelessness or negligence can lead to murder. And we know that, don't we? We know that. 
I want to make a big leap here and suggest to you that we are alive when a culture is murdering the family. When parents are not honorable, when parents are not present, when parents are not models of godliness, when husbands and wives are not modeling sacrificial love, the concept of family is distorted and sometimes killed for a lifetime. Parents who are ignorant of the ways of God or who intentionally flout the will and commandments of God are sowing the seeds of destruction not only for their own children and their children's children, but for the society in which we live. I looked up some of the demographics of the current state of things in the United States this week, and it is a discouraging and saddening even horrific thing to look at the data. The data that I saw was from something called the Journal of Marriage and the Family. I didn't look up what that really is, but it sounded official. And it was filled with sociological jargon and words, but charts and things. And to see over and over and over and over and over the enormity of the destruction of the family that God wills in our culture can only bring a man to his knees if he cares about the things of God. Well, it brings us back to the two sons to try to conclude with the two sons in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is in a conflict over his authority and that conflict is growing as his life and his ministry and his teaching have been showing more and more and more that he came from God. And that in some sense that is eluding even his most loyal followers at the time, that God is at work in him in a unique way, unlike anything that has ever happened before. That he came from God and in some sense is speaking for God. And some are beginning to say in some sense that's crazy to us to understand he is God present with us. That's happening. And as that happens, there's conflict. And, and, and Jesus' right to speak and his right to, to, to do what he's doing is being challenged consistently and more and more consistently. And today he gives a parable um, in the company of people that are doubting his authority or questioning his authority or attacking his authority. And he just posits a simple story of two sons. Two sons who owe obedience to the father. The Jewish community knows that. There's no confusion about that. No one in Jesus', in Jesus culture, in the world that he lived in, in the communities that he lived in, would have doubted that. It is God's absolute will that children obey their father and their mother, honoring them. And so he tells a story that everybody can understand. A son that says he'll do it and doesn't do it. And a son who says he won't do it and changes his mind and does it. And 
he puts it back to the audience. Now, which son did the will of the father? And of course, they immediately answer correctly. Uh, The the son did the will of the father that actually did it, not the one who said it. And then Jesus, shockingly, even to our ears, even though we might have heard it, some of us, most of our lives, he says, well, I tell you, when John the Baptist came, whom God sent, tax collectors and prostitutes heard what he was saying and repented and returned to God while you just went on in your sin. You just went on in your self-righteousness. You just went on in your own versions of disobedience. And I tell you, they will enter the kingdom of heaven and you will not. And this is offensive, obviously. It's deeply offensive to people that are wearing the right clothes and worship in the right place and do the right things externally. But Jesus consistently is piercing that veneer and saying it's in the heart that we know the truth of God's life in you. It's in your behavior that we know. It's in not what you say. It's not the Lord, Lord. It's not the Lord, Lord. And so he says, you saw God at work, but it didn't affect you. You heard the word of God, but it didn't affect you. Neither did you change. You saw and didn't change, and you heard and you didn't change. But those who heard, turn. During this season of Lent, I've asked us to allow the Ten Commandments to be a a guide for us, a grid, if you will, a, a way to evaluate our lives. And I've urged you, and I urge you again, by Good Friday, a couple of weeks away, that you have a list, that you have a piece of paper on which you have listed the Ten Commandments and you have listed, pardon me, what God has brought to your prayers and to your mind during this Lent where you have or are disobeying his clear commands. And that you bring it to the Good Friday service and drop it in a basket on the day in which we remember the crucifixion of our Lord. And you bring those remembrances and those sins to God to be forgiven. And after the service that day, we will burn those crumpled up pieces of paper as a sign that when we hear and turn, when we see and change course, when we actually move from the words to the behavior, God's mercy forgives and covers all our sins. We say it every Sunday. So how does it affect us, the moment we are in? The moment we are in. The the parable has the father saying, I have work for each of you to do. I have work for each of my sons to do. I have work for you to do. So go and do the work that I have for you. And so I say to you, what is your work? What is left of your life and mine that is the work that God has for you to do? In relationship to families, 
Many of us in this room are grandpas and grandmas. Many of us, there might even be, there are some great grandmas and grandpas in the room today. So in a sense, our bringing up of our own children is long past, but not our influence on our children. Not our prayers for our children. Not our influence on our grandchildren or our prayers for our grandchildren. So I ask you to go before God and ask for grace to see what, if anything, by his grace, apart from your prayers, he might be calling you to do in relationship to the unfinished business of raising children who will know, love, and serve the Lord with their lives. And I lay before you without any sense of an answer, what about the church? What about us? Are we able in any way to ameliorate or to begin to address or to bring healing to this horrific unfolding of confusion and rebellion and sin in the families of our community? Is there a work for us to do? Is there a go for us as a church? I dare to think so, but I don't know the answer. Honor your father and your mother. Do no murder. And when the father says go, be willing to go. Indeed, not in word. Let us pray. Lord, this, this message, this scripture, these scriptures cut to the heart of this man speaking. And I pray, Lord, that whatever is true would touch the hearts of all who have heard. And if there is a work for us to do individually, show it, Lord. Let us be clear. And if there is a work for us collectively that we have not seen, show it to us, Lord. And may none of us forget the glorious promise that when we turn and come to you, we are forgiven. So no matter what, no matter what is in the past, this is a day of salvation. This is a day of forgiveness. And for that great and wonderful loving mercy, we thank you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.